Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Hello, uh, um, we're kind of continuing our series on uh, Daring to Grow. Today we're in our seventh week, I believe. It's been a fantastic series, we've had some great messages uh, from the guys. Uh, culminating uh, so far last week, uh, Mark was taking us through um, the third chapter of the book of 2 Corinthians, that letter, um, looking at uh, how we can reflect God's glory boldly. Boldly, okay? We know that daring is a part of our values and uh, the six letters of the word daring coincide with our six values Uh, and so being bold as believers is something that we are intentional about as a church and um, Mark last week he was comparing two different ways he was comparing uh, the old way which was uh, kind of the the law on on tablets of stone that brings uh, condemnation and brings death, uh, comparing it with the new way, the way of the spirit that brings life and righteousness. And he was saying the old way, it it does have a certain amount of glory to it. We know that because Moses' face was shone after coming down the mountain. So there's an element of glory in the old way, but nothing compared to the glory of the new way. Yeah, nothing compared to the way of the Spirit. And that's because where the Spirit is, there is freedom. Okay, and it's that freedom that makes a difference in our lives. And when we have that freedom in us, it should, be, it should make us different. It should make us different to those who don't have the Spirit. Okay, we should have an effect on those around us. Um, if we don't, then something isn't right. The same Spirit that was in Jesus... The same spirit is in us. Is that right? The same spirit is in us. So we know that when Jesus went around, people were attracted to him. He drew large crowds to him. People wanted to be near him. If he wanted to go somewhere by himself, he had to go into the desert or at the top of a mountain. Okay, And even then he wasn't assured of being by himself because people followed him. But he drew large crowds. We know that kids were attracted to him. Okay, uh, and kids are a great measure in your attractiveness because kids aren't Muppets, okay? They only go to people who they like. You know that, right? And we know that Jesus was a bit of a kid magnet. It got so that the disciples had to pull the kids off him and say, no, no, no. And Jesus was like, no, 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 let them come. Let them come to me. We know that the, uh, the cast outs of society were attracted to him. The prostitutes and the tax collectors and the down and out and those people who needed a miracle, those people who needed something. The rich people were attracted to him. The poor people were. The young people were. The old people were. Men were attracted to him. And women were attracted to him. Jews were attracted to him. And Samaritans were attracted to him. Remember the the woman at the well, the Samaritan lady, she goes to her village and says to the whole village, come and see. Come and see this guy. You've got, and they all came. And they were all affected by him. Jesus had an effect on those he came into contact with. But he also had another effect. Some people got angry with him. Some people, when he was talking, they hated him. In fact, they got so angry with him that they wanted to kill him. 
They wanted to end his life. They were prepared, some people, to, to lie about him in order to have him killed. That was the effect that Jesus had on some people. And uh, they rejected his teaching. They called him blasphemer. They called him troublemaker. So we know that Jesus had that effect on people too. People were drawn to him. And also people despised him. But it wasn't just Jesus. If we look further on in the Bible uh, through the New Testament, we see that uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the letter that we're looking at at the moment, he had pretty much the same effect, didn't he? You know, people were attracted to Jesus because of what Paul said and what he did. But also people wanted to kill Paul. People hated him a lot because of what he said. And we look at the disciples and we look at the early church. They had the same effect. Many of them were martyred because of what they believed and because of what they said and because of what they did. But also we know that the early church grew massively because of what they believed and because of what they did and because of what they said. They all, all these guys had an effect on people. Sometimes good, sometimes responding and accepting and sometimes rejecting. But what the world couldn't do with these people was ignore them. They couldn't be ignored. They couldn't ignore Jesus. They couldn't ignore Paul or the early church. They, they, they had something about them. About, they had this, this glory. They had this light. This light inside them that made people respond. So I guess the question is, what effect do we have on people? What effect do you have on people? Do people, are people drawn to you? Are people drawn to that light? Do people want to kill you? I hope not. <laughs> or do people ignore us? Can people ignore us? Which brings me to my title for today, which is uh, Daring to Shine. Yeah, very... Daring to Shine. Okay, this light that is in us, we need to be bold with. We need to be daring and let that light shine. Uh, part of our, our calling as followers of Jesus is to be this light that shines in the darkness. And that's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, there's a story, it's quite a well-known story, of a, um, a captain of an American uh, warship. And they're on manoeuvres in the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and he's looking out with his binoculars and he sees a light ahead of him, coming towards him. And so he immediately gets on the radio and he says, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees south to avoid a collision. After a few seconds, the answer comes back, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees north to avoid a collision. And the captain of the, of the boat goes, no, 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 no. And he goes back on the radio. This is the captain of the US Navy warship Divert your cause 15 degrees south to avoid a collision. After a few seconds, a reply comes back. No. Divert your course 15 degrees north. And the captain's shaking his head and he's looking at his, his crew and he's going, I'm not having this. So he goes back on the radio. This is the aircraft carrier, the USS Abraham Lincoln, the second largest ship in the North Atlantic fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and a host of ancillary vessels as well. I demand that you alter your course 15 degrees south or extreme countermeasures are going to be taken to protect the safety of the fleet. After a few seconds, the answer comes back. This is a lighthouse, but it's your call. (laughs) 
So, we're called to be that light. That light that has an effect on people, that changes people. And kind of moving on from where Mark brought us last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to be moving into chapter 4, where Paul, he kind of expands on this idea of this glory and this light that is in us. The light that shines in our hearts that we have to let shine to those around us. So the first verse then in this, um, in this book says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, this This ministry is the same word that was way last week, the new way. We have this new way, this way of the spirit, this light in us. We do not lose heart. So it starts off with a a great word, therefore, which comes across a lot, which means that it's connected to what's come before it. We know, so so it's explained all about this, this glory of the new way. And then it says, well, because of this, because of this light, this new way, this this spirit, this grace that's in us, uh, because of God's mercy, we've got this in us. We don't lose heart. We have the freedom that this brings. Now Jesus himself uh, said this. He says, you, you, that's us, are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in their house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. Notice it doesn't say, you are the light of the church. It says, you are the light of the world. Which, actually, we can bring out two things from that, very simple things. We should be light, and we should be involved in the world. Two things. Light is different from darkness. If it's not different, then it's not light. If we consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus, and yet we live our lives exactly the same way as those who aren't, those who we're kind of connecting with, then we're not being that light. We're not the light of the world. We're just adding to the darkness. And we're called to be light of the world. Our light shouldn't have a switch that we just kind of put on on a Sunday morning. We get the kids out of the car. We've had a terrible morning. We've been arguing and fighting and then we get out of the car on a Sunday morning and we switch all the kids' lights on and we switch our own lights on and we come into church. Bless you, brother. Yeah, we've, I've done it. Maybe you have too. That's not how this light works. Okay, that's not what we're called to be. We're called to be the light of the world. The light is not for church on Sundays. Uh, Ife, would you mind putting light one? I'm just going to put a spotlight on. Let me know. Okay, so there's a spotlight there. Now you can see that it's on, but it doesn't make that much difference because of all the other light that's around us. Okay, when we come to church on a Sunday, all of us should be light. So our light shouldn't really be, you know, shouldn't make that much a difference in a church. Okay, go to the next one, please, if I. Okay, oh, now we have a blackout. All right, now put the next one on. That's what our light's supposed to do. It's supposed to shine in the darkness. It shines in the world. That's where it's most effective, where the darkness is. You guys, me, all of us, we are the light of the world. Okay, you can turn it off now. (laughs) Thank you, there you are. Um, If you want to put the blinds up now, feel free. Jesus also tells us not to put our light under a bowl. Don't put your light in a bucket. 
We're not called to be secret service Christians. Okay, constantly looking over our shoulder to see who's watching us. We don't want anybody to get offended by the way that we're living or the things that we believe in. So we kind of, kind of put a bucket, bucket on our light when we're at work or when we're not in church because we know that that's the way people prefer it. People prefer it if we're, if we're not kind of coming over on the whole Christian thing because it, it, you know, they don't like to see that. So we, so we end up being a bit sheepish and... Um, we don't want to offend people. We know what they like, and so we put that light on us, that, that bucket on our light. I remember as a child, um, I grew up in a, um, a kind of a quite a happy, clappy church. Um, and this church, we used to do open air services on a Saturday morning in the in the marketplace in the town, in Willenhall Town Centre. And I was only a child, and there would be about twenty or thirty of us down there, and there'd be a wooden soapbox for the preacher to stand on, and there'd be singing and a couple of people playing guitars, and occasionally we'd have dramas, and I would be there, and I'd be like, oh, you know, trying not to be seen, and I would, um, I guess, I'd be hiding my light to my shame. This is as a child. And, you know, because my mates would all come down to the town centre on a Saturday morning and I didn't want them to see me. And so I'd try and blend in with the crowd. And so if anybody who saw me from school, they would think I was just with the crowd and, and I wasn't with these people. And by the way, that's not my mum playing the guitar there. And that's not my dad standing on the box shouting at people. Um, and so I just want to blend in and find that biggest, blackest bucket and bury my light deep. And then, of course, there were the really special occasions where my mum would make me bring my trumpet and play my trumpet along with the guitarists. <laughs> you can't blend in playing the trumpet. <laughs> you can't hide. And so I'd be there playing my trumpet, trying to hide behind my trumpet, making as loud a noise as anybody. And, and I'd see my friends and I'd try and make the trumpet follow my friends so they can't see who's playing. My eyes would be wide as I looked in panic. And the truth is, to my shame, I spent so much of my childhood and youth trying to keep my church friends away from my school friends. To my shame. And it wasn't until later in secondary school that I started to be more open and honest about my light. And actually, again, to my shame, about two weeks after I left home to go to university when I was 18, my, the guy who had been my best friend all the way through school gave his life to Jesus. To my shame. Two weeks after I'd gone. Yeah, somebody else did that. And maybe, maybe you live your life a little bit like that. Not wanting to offend. Not wanting to... to have your light too bright so that people get offended and you, you prefer to just blend in. Um, I want you to remember what we've been given, who we've been given. Remember what we've got. I've heard it put like this. If you knew that you had the cure to a deadly disease but you didn't tell anybody about it, what kind of person would that make you? Well, it's kind of like that. We have the cure to death, to eternal death. And if we don't share that, what kind of person does that make us? In 1797, there was a naval battle between English Navy and the Dutch Navy. And um, qu quite near the beginning of this battle, the flagship, 
uh, took a direct uh, cannon into the mast and the mast broke and the mast went down and on the top of the mast obviously flies, flies the flag. Uh, the squadron flag. And normally when the flag is lowered, it means that you surrender, that the other side has got the victory and that you're defeated. And so the mast went down and the whole fleet's looking at the flagship. And then a guy, uh, what's his, uh, a guy called Jack Crawford, this is a true story, he picks up the flag, he picks up the standard and he, he shins his way up the broken mast to the top of where it's been snapped. And he hammers and he nails that flag in to the top of that mast. It's where we get the expression, nail your colours to the mast. It meant that everybody could see and it meant that actually we're not giving up. This is not a surrender. We're carrying on. And eventually um, the, uh, the English kind of had their, got, got the victory in that battle. But the historians say it turned around at that moment when Jack Crawford nailed the colours to the mast. And that's so important. We're not living in defeat. We're living in victory. We have the victory and we need to nail our colours to the mask. We need to show everybody, this is my light. This is what I believe. This is who I am. Even if it offends you, this is, this is my light. And you know what? Some people will glorify their father. Uh, what did Jesus say? Um, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Let your light shine that they will see your good deeds glorify your Father. Good deeds leading to glorifying God. That's the gospel, really. And in this passage, Jesus is equating good deeds with showing light. So um, the good deeds don't make the light. We have that light in us, and it leads us to acts of compassion and good deeds in the darkness to those around us. So is my message then that we should just go around doing good deeds for people and kind of being nice for people. And if we do that, then everyone who sees those good deeds and everybody who has those good deeds done for them will end up gloriously getting saved and, and glorifying God. No, we know it doesn't work like that. It doesn't always work like that. It does work like that sometimes. And what we talked about at the beginning with Jesus, we know that because of his acts of compassion, that was his approach completely. He was ready to to heal, to give, to share, to, to pull up. He was ready at a moment's notice to do that. And because of that, people were attracted uh, to him. We need to shine. But sometimes our shining provokes Opposition. People can actually feel threatened by our light. In Ephesians 5, it says um, everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And that's why people don't really like it sometimes. Because there's things in people's lives that they don't want people to see. They don't want it to be visible. And so when you come along with your light, shining a light on that, it's like, no, I don't want people to see this. And that's where the grace of God comes in to wash us clean and to wash them clean. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you're talking about spiritual things and it gets heated? It gets heated uh, because they get angry when, you, when you're shining. Now, I'm not talking about purposefully winding people up because some Christians do that. Some Christians are bad at this. And you sometimes see people kind of standing on the corner judging and shouting horrible things. That's not the gospel either. That's not shining your light. That's not going to glorify God. And these people who do this, they go home and they say, I am persecuted because of my righteousness. 
And you go, no, you're persecuted because you're a Muppet. <laughs> That's not why you're persecuted. And that doesn't get people to glorify God. When you judge and when you, you know, you, rather than letting your light shine, you shine your light in their face to try and get a reaction militantly and provocatively. That's not what we're talking about. The truth is when we demonstrate God's light, some are going to respond positively and glorify their father and others aren't going to get it. In, uh, further on in our passage in 2 Corinthians 4, it says, even if our gospel is veiled, that means it's hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And that word veil, we come across that a lot in scripture. And one of, the, one of the great mentions of the word veil is when Jesus dies on the cross. We know that the veil, that curtain in the temple was torn in two. And the reason it was torn in two was because that was there separating people from the Holy of Holies, from God's presence. That was what the veil was for, to separate people from God's presence. And when Jesus died, he was saying, you don't have to have that there anymore. You've got access to me, complete, full, total access to God's presence now. So why is it that sometimes the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing? Well, the next verse tells us, the God of this age, the devil, blinds the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, so that it displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The devil is involved in this. He's stopping people from seeing it. And the truth is, if we let our light shine, we don't take credit for those who respond to the gospel. And we don't take the blame for those who reject the gospel. We just let our light shine. That's what we need to do. That's what we're called to do. That's our purpose. That is our mission. And when we are light, we should be being a taster, a sample of the kingdom of heaven. That's who we are. That's, we should be walking around as a sample of Jesus. Okay? And uh, actually, another story. When, I, when our kids were younger, um, we would often go to Ikea on a Saturday mornings. And on the way, I don't know if you know Ikea in Croydon, on the way, there's a Chinese wholesale supermarket that we used to go and like to visit. And the great thing about this supermarket is, as you walk in, often on a Saturday morning, they would have a, tr a table set up and they'd be giving away samples of food. And we're like, kids, kids, kids go and get your lunch. Go and get your lunch. <laughs> and these pots of, pots of samples are only small pots. But if you have enough small pots, it's a Chinese meal. It's brilliant. So if I ever invite you for a Chinese meal... Lower your expectations a little bit. Um, and so the kids would, they would go and they would, they would kind of eat, eat these samples and they would love it, and, except for sometimes they would come with their faces all red and said, Mommy, Daddy, it's, just, it's really spicy. And we go, that's all right, that's your lunch. You know, have it. Well, can we have a drink? Sure, if you can find somebody giving a free drink, you can, you can have a drink as well. Um, so what's my point? I'm not sure. It would be bad business if that company just stood there giving away free samples. But that's not what they do. They give free samples, and then they tell you where you can get the real thing. They say, oh, this is just a sample of, of this. This is the box. You can take this home with you. This is in aisle three. If you go to aisle three, you get the full thing. You can have the whole works. This is just a sample. This just gives a taster. But you can take the whole thing with you. And so you go, and you get the box, and you, and you take it home. Giving people... A sample of Jesus, a sample of the kingdom of heaven, but not showing them how to get the real thing. That would be just cruel. 
That would be just me. That's not what we're called to do. And we're called to be light. But when we are light, we need to explain what the light is as well. And we need to have our testimonies. And we need to be able to talk about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. That's how we're most effective as light. Um, We're not showing us. This is not about, uh, you know, when we're samples, we're not trying to sell ourselves. We're not selling our own ability or our own goodness. We're not showing us. We don't want people to take us home. We want them to take Jesus. You can take the real thing home. Your life can be changed. The next verse says this, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We're not selling ourselves or our own ability or our own righteousness. We're presenting the glory of Jesus. I used to work for a, um, a company called Technics uh, who make all sorts of electronic gadgets. And my job, or part of my job uh, for working for Technics was to demonstrate keyboards and pianos. And so I'd go to exhibitions and shows and, and I would go and play and, uh, you know, with a view that people would buy them. The first time I ever did this, I, it was just like 20 years ago, so I was young and fresh-faced. And they sent me off to the Ideal Home Exhibition in Earl's Court for four weeks to go and stand, uh, to go and stand on this um, stand with keyboards and pianos, all this Technics gear. And my job was to, to play and sell keyboards and pianos. And there was another young guy there as well, whose name was Carl. Uh, not Carl, who we know here, but another guy. He was German. And this guy, Carl, could really play. I mean, I could play. I'm okay. I know, I can, you know I've got some talent there, but he was just amazing. He was, he was German. He had all the technique. He was technical. Um, and I was... You know, I was, I would say, a pretty decent player, but I would watch him. He had these fast hands and he had these amazing jazz chords. He would begin to play and crowds would come around him and they would be watching him, just loving it. And I'm standing there thinking, oh, good grief, I can't compete with that. Of course, I tried to compete with that, so I started, got all my best repertoire out and started to play really cleverly as well. And he'd be playing over there and I'd be playing over here, see who could get the biggest crowd. But after a couple of days... I realised, actually, neither of us have sold any keyboards <laughs> or any pianos. We've just been entertaining the crowds. And so I changed my strategy at this point. I said, well, rather than, rather than playing um, all, this, all this stuff, I'm going to play um, uh, simply. And um, so I'm just going to get my two fingers out and I'm going to play really simply. So Carl is over there playing Rachmaninoff at double speed and I got my two fingers and I started playing the theme tune from Titanic but I started to play but I put on all the bells and whistles I got the keyboard set up I put drums on it and backing I had the full orchestra playing behind me I'm just doing two fingers but the keyboard's making this amazing sound and suddenly I had a crowd as well and I finished playing, and I said, right, who would like to buy one? And I had a queue of people with their credit cards out ready to buy one. Um, why? Well, because they look at me playing with two fingers, making this great sound, and they think, I can do that. I can't do what he's doing. <laughs> but I can do what he's doing. My two fingers, yeah, I can do that. I can make that sound too. And over the four weeks of the exhibition, Carl never learned. <laughs> he never learned. He didn't sell anything. And me, I was the top seller of the show, and it was brilliant. And I got all these 
prizes and stuff and presents and, and Carl was named sales prevention officer. And, <laughs> and what was the difference? Well, Carl was selling himself. Yeah. He was sat on the stool selling how good he was. And me, I started to show the ability of the keyboard. And that's what Paul is saying. We're not preaching ourselves. We're not showing how good we are. We're showing Jesus. Jesus is Lord. We're showing what he has done for us. That's what it means when we shine our light. There's no point in me trying to demonstrate my own ability. I can't save people from their sins. I can't bring people into a life of freedom. I can shine. I can't move people from darkness to light. I can't give people an eternity with God. But I can let my light shine. I can point people to the one who can, who can do all that. I can point to, people, point to the one who can change people. So we can be the light of the world. We can be samples of God's goodness. And maybe if we dare to shine that light, then people will glorify God. Okay, we're coming towards the end. I've got uh, this last verse that I'm looking at today. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So Paul is still talking about the same thing. He's still, talk, still talking about this light, this glory, this new way. But now he's talking about it. He's changing the picture to a picture of, a, of treasure. He's saying this thing has real value. It's got value. And uh, this light is called a treasure. It's worth something. People who see this treasure may be attracted to it. And it's important that it's the treasure that attracts people, which is why it's put in jars of clay. The jars of clay are simply the thing that hold the treasure. It's not about the jar. That's our role, by the way. We're called to be jars, if you'll excuse the expression. The whole purpose of the jar of clay is to show the treasure, the light, this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And this is Paul's point. We are just ordinary people. We're just a jar. We're battered and bruised. We're cracked and we're chipped and uh, kind of we're dirty and it's just a clay jar. But there's treasure within this jar. There's lots of wear and tear on the jar. In fact, in the next verse, he says a few things about these jars. He says, we're hard pressed. Okay, things are coming against us from every side. He says, we're perplexed. We're perplexed. It says we're persecuted. We're just jars. We're persecuted and we're struck down. Okay, we're just these damaged jars. But that's not the end of the story because because of this treasure that's within us, we're hard pressed, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Because of the treasure that's within us. We're just jars. Band, would you mind just uh, joining me on the stage? Now in this church, we have life groups. And life groups are a fantastic way to grow as believers. We get to have friendship and fun and fellowship. And sometimes we have food, lots of alliteration there. Okay, Life groups are a great place to to grow as believers. Uh, we had a great discussion in our life group this week 
Uh, we always have a great time. We always laugh a lot. In fact, it's not just our life group. I was here on Wednesday doing some work in the church here, and Audrey and Anne's life group were meeting over in the cafe here. They were laughing the whole time. I wanted to come and join them, having such a good time. Um, and it's brilliant to hear. That's what life group is. It's coming together, learning, but having fun and enjoying one another's company with like-minded people. Anyway, in our life group, we were talking about um, uh, how we can show this light, how we can be attractive to those around us, how we can more effectively introduce people to church, but actually ultimately to the one who can change their lives. God speaks to us in so many ways. And sometimes one of the ways God speaks to us is by giving somebody a, a picture, a mental image of something, and then an explanation of what that means in reality. And as we were praying together as a life group, uh, kind of laying this down before God, one of the, one of the guys in our group had this uh, picture that I want to share with you um, because it's relevant to what we're talking about today. And his, his picture was of a, a boat on a lake. And this boat had fishermen in it. And these fishermen were all fully equipped. They had rods and nets and lines and bait and and, uh, buckets and everything that they needed. And they were sat in the boat and they were talking with each other about how hungry the fish were in the lake. And that was it. They were just sat there talking about how hungry the fish were in the lake. And um, as we uh, talked about this as a group, it spoke to us about we know how good God is, how great this light that we have is, And we know that often we miss the opportunity to share that light, to share our faith, to let our light shine. We don't always show the treasure that we've got. And there are three things. I was was thinking about this picture of the fishermen. There were three things where these, these fishermen can go wrong. The first is what I've already said. They can stay in the boat just talking about how hungry the fish is until it's time to go home and wrap everything up. And they haven't brought any fish into the boat. And we can form nice, cosy groups. We can be a nice, cosy church and come together in our life groups and on a Sunday and kind of be light with each other and um, switching on our lights when we're with that group, but missing an opportunity to make a real difference in the darkness the rest of the week. So that's the first way a fisherman might go wrong. The second way one of these fishermen might go wrong is um, we can lean over the side of the boat and we can shout at the fish about how hungry they are. We can tell them, we can judge them for being hungry. And um, we can tell them how, much, how many worms we've got in the boat, how much bait we have and how full we are. This is like shining our light in the faces of people trying to blind them, thinking we're doing the right thing, but actually we're being sales prevention officers, you know? Missing out. And the third way we can go wrong is to just fling food into the lake at random. Okay, to feed the fish, but never bringing any fish into the boat. And so we can do, you know, all sorts of good deeds and help people, but never revealing the source of our light, never witnessing to people who it is that we're talking about, giving people a sample of the kingdom of heaven, but never showing them the real deal never directing them to the one who can make a difference. That's where we can go wrong. But where can we go right? If we want to be light, if we want to go out of here, we want to make a difference, then we need to be bold. It takes a daring heart and a daring head. 
It takes a decision to not put our light under a bucket, but to let it shine and let, it, let what happen, happen. Okay? And we've got a partnership coming up in a couple of weeks, partnership morning. And being partners of this church um, is a fantastic thing. It means you're essentially saying, yes, this is my church. This is my church. And we try and create events in this church. We try and create a Sunday service that um, will be appealing to people. And a couple of weeks ago, we had a great event. We had a comedy evening with Mark Ritchie. And it was brilliant. We had such a good time. Those of us who are here know that. But on that Sunday morning, I know Mark asked the question, how many people have invited people to, to Mark Ritchie evening? Now, Mark Ritchie, I would say, is one of the top evangelists in the country. I've never heard anybody better than Mark Ritchie. And only a three or four people kind of put their hands up. Oh, and that was so disappointing to me. Because this is such an, a great opportunity to invite people to, and to, to show our light and I have to say, people who did come who, who weren't believers, actually lots of people gave their life to Jesus. In fact, somebody from another church brought a friend who wasn't a Christian and they gave their lives to Jesus. We can be doing this church. We should be inviting people. Remember Vlad's message from a few weeks ago? Be rich, bring people, reach out to people, invite people, compel people, host people. Let's be creative Let's be creative. Let's think of ways at home, in our life groups, in our churches, a way to invite people into this so they can see this message. They should see it in us, but we need to invite them to experience the real deal. Jesus, I've got one more verse to show you and then I'm going to finish. It's from Zechariah chapter 8. It says this, In those days, that's now by the way, ten men from different nations and languages, that's anybody, and everybody from anywhere of any kind, ten men from different nations and languages of the world will clutch at the sleeve of one and they will say, please let us walk with you for we have heard that God is with you. We let our light shine. We point to the one who can change them and we just see what happens. We dare to shine and we let God do what he's going to do. Amen. Amen.